Some days are terrible, you wish that you were dead And some days are magical, like great banana bread Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads The voices in our heads Hello, hi, how are you? Oh man, hey, congrats on not killing yourself again, you fucking hero This is The Voices in Our Heads I am Christina Marie Hutchinson, and I'm already feeling that birthday jazz. My birthday's next Wednesday, and I'm having a party, and I'm already jazz. I don't know. If, it seems like this is more of a girl thing, but it should be an every person thing. But when, like some, like I know some girls are like, it's my birthday month, and like I was that girl for a while, and then I got tired of that. But man, when it's a week out, you just feel the vibes, you know? You're like, I'm about to celebrate the anniversary of my goddamn birth. In one fucking week, and I'm so excited, and I and I wanted to, and I'm having a big party, and I'm so excited, and I per, I was like, I want to, part of me is going back and forth between like, ah, is this like dumb that I'm doing this, or no, it's fucking live your life, and that's just the voices in my head that are not so nice, and um, and so I was like, I want to purchase like cool party decorations, and so when I was in Philadelphia this weekend, which was fucking awesome, thank you to everybody who came out, and to the person who did my Wawa tattoo. I should look up your name and Instagram handle beforehand, but I didn't. But I did tag him in the picture of my Wawa tattoo on my Instagram, at Christina Hutch. But while I was hanging out with my best friend Melissa at her house, one of the nights, we was wasted. We, was, we wasn't wasted, but we was drinking a lot of vodka. And I was like, I don't know party decorations. She's like, yeah. And I ordered a shitload of life-size cardboard cutouts of celebrities. <laughs> because i'm like that's a fun decoration for a party because then it's like i want you know what's my dream for my party what are my lofty goals i want oscar winners there and you know what they're gonna be there in the form of a cardboard cutout i don't care you just squint your eyes a little bit the lighting's gonna be dim because it's gonna be a sexy party so it's like they're there and i accidentally ordered two cardboard cutouts of timothy chalamet oh so pretty and so I realized my happy accident and I'm going to keep one of them here. And I did. I took one out and I put it in my house. And then this morning I woke up, I came upstairs and I was like, why is there a hot boy in my house? A hot man. He's 25. He looks younger than that, but he's 25. I think he's in his twenties. Shut up. It's fine. All right. I usually like 56 year olds. Okay. Relax. Also, I, or I have a laundry pickup coming soon. Because I've misplaced my laundry cart. And um, so I have to get it sent out. And uh, and so they're going to come soon. And they're going to ring the buzzer. And I'm just going to be like, be right back. So you're going to hear that. I'm not going to pause it. Because I, I don't got time. I got to run to this dinner that my friend D. Guerreros is having. It's a pizza party with tarot cards and cookie decorating. Because you know what? Live your goddamn life and have fun and experience joy. I This episode of The Voices in Our Heads, is gonna it's going to get intense and silly but it's gonna get intense we'll get into that later but right now wait where's my pen but right now <clears throat> but right now hey let's do some fuckboy theater right fuckboy theater now i'm gonna read some bios off to you and i have a bunch of them and boy oh boy these are people's bios that's what they are. This is the first impression that they want you to have of them. It's their bios. Again, Tinder bios. <clears throat> Ready? 
I'm just going to read this guy's bio and not say his name because his name is in his bio. He says it. So I don't mean to out you, sir, but I actually think your bio is pretty great. I would not classify you as a fuck boy to be scared of. I'd classify you as a, oh, you fucking fuck boy. You know? <clears throat> okay. Name Scott called Pip. And yes, I love kissing butts. And I love soft bubble butts. I also love playing with soft titties. I would love a hand job. I do have a decent sized cock. <laughs> Pip. Okay, this is another guy's bio. Again, it's his bio. It's what he wants you to see and get taken of his essence for the first time. <clears throat> My girlfriend wants to watch... <clears throat> gotta restart. It's okay, girl. You're doing good. Thank you. My girlfriend wants to watch me fuck another man. Anything goes. I prefer bottom dick. Oh, I prefer bottom. Dick size doesn't matter. I can take big butts, smalls, cute. You gotta be somewhat attractive. Body doesn't matter as long as it's not overweight. No offense to anyone. Abs are a plus. She's gonna watch but not involved. But think... But you might be able to stick around and watch me fuck her. And you must be able to prove you're STD free because we are clean and we don't plan on changing that. I feel like I read it in like a more aggressive tone than what he meant because I actually think it's like really cool that he's like, hey, you know, your STD status is important before we engage in this sexual encounter. This person's bio, again, is his bio. This one might be a, a I wouldn't say a bot. I would say... A, a bored man. This person is 23 years old and the profile picture is a picture of a Tyrannosaurus Rex and the name is Jewosaurus. And the bio reads, I am the mighty Jewishsaurus Rex. Check out my ripped Jewosaurus pecs. If you're lucky, we might have Jewosaurus sex. Ass is what Jewosaurus Rex. <laughs> thank you thank you so much thank you thank you so much oh god that was fun again people's bios is hard out there for a person trying to find love hey if you're in new york city tonight which is wednesday february 12th justin silver and i are co-hosting we're not banging at the stand at 8 p.m can you come can you please come? It's going to be so fun. There's probably still tickets left. Okay? So come to that. You know, the older I get, the better I get, really. But my health problems, yeah, not so much. They get a little worse. Like, I have a pulse in my ear now. I have a pulse in my right ear. It's been there for, I don't know, a couple weeks. And, you know, when I first was living on my own, the, the, you know, the first couple of weeks that uh, I, I ha finally had the apartment that I live in now to myself, I've never lived here by myself. I was like, man, I don't need no man. I don't need no man. Fucking hear me roar, bitch. I'm a goddamn motherfucking woman. Hear me roar. Hear me fix my own shit and hear me. But then when shit would break, I'd be like, oh, guess that's broken forever. The light in my downstairs bathroom broke. And I replaced the light bulb because I ain't stupid. I'm like, oh, I gotta go replace the light bulb. Mind you, specialty light bulb. So I had to jump through some hoops. <gasps> Ooh. I got the light bulb and then that didn't work. I'm like, guess I'm gonna shit in the dark. I'll shit in the dark. No, you know what? I'll shit upstairs because that bathroom has a light that works. 
But downstairs, I'll just pee. And then the toilet stopped working downstairs. I'm like, you know what? I'll pee in the sink or the tub. Just pee in the tub. And then the tub, well, it doesn't matter. I can still pee in it. But then when I would fill that tub up downstairs, the water would be brown for like a good couple minutes first. I'm like, that's probably not good. And I text my super. I'm like, hey, dude, how are you? I got poopy water in my tub. And he's like, "Uh uh-oh. And then nothing ever came of it. So I just don't use that tub. My point is, when stuff breaks now in the apartment, I'm like, that that's going to be what I live with until I move out. And so now when I get health problems, it's not a good attitude to have. But I'm like, oh, guess I got a pulse in my ear forever now. Whatever. It's fine. I drown it out with my Spotify playlist of the rain of a thunderstorm. Dude, I fucking watched a tail- this Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix. It's called Miss Americana. Yo. I mean, we are all guilty of judging people. And it's this like gross, cancerous, like satisfaction that we sometimes feel when we kind of like talk shit on people. And celebrities are the the easiest targets. And I feel like Taylor Swift is such an easy target because she's a woman. That's probably one of the reasons. My manager's calling me, but I can't answer right now. Hold on, hold on. Hey, Rick, can I call you back? I'm recording my podcast. Okay, bye. See, this is real life. This is what happens when people start stop being polite and start getting real. And the manager calls them. I just want to let them know, hey, I got to call you back a little bit. Ooh. Anyway, the Miss Americana on Netflix. Goddamn, goddamn. I never really hated Taylor Swift, but there were times where I'm like, you know what? I don't like her. Like I'm some fucking hot shit. I don't. Ugh, she's okay. All of her friends are models. I don't really like her. Just some bullshit that I was throwing at her and then I watch this documentary I'm like yo yo Taylor Swift is kind of the shit she's a bad bitch and she and she cares like her the beginnings of her career were all rooted and I want people to love me and I'm like you know what that's not a weakness to want people to love you because if you want people to love you if people love you you know then you're spreading love you're not spreading hate you're not spreading AIDS you're not spreading poop diarrhea or a virus coronavirus wear those masks but you're spreading love so i you know what i've been coming trying to come to terms lately past couple years with the idea that wanting to be loved you know it could get you into some shit (laughs) we all know that Uh, one one quick read of women who love too much and you'll be like oh yeah that's not that's not serving me very well Uh uh-oh but it's, it's a strength. It can be a strength. You can utilize it as a strength. And, uh, oh, God, we get it. Someone's hurt. If you can't hear the sirens, I'm going to sound like a real asshole, but there's just, there's always sirens. But man, Taylor Swift is a badass bitch. And she, it's, she's so adorable. And so, man, if I have a kid one day, and I, I do hope I do, I want to have just one. I just want to know what it's like. I and they were a fan of hers I'd be like you are in good hands that woman is a fucking great example for a role model so is Beyonce Giselle knows Carter but Taylor Swift also very good role model so I would highly I highly recommend watching that doc man it's it is really interesting and I'm like oh that's how a bad bitch does business Taylor Swift fucking did so many things she went out of her way and spent a lot of time and money to 
correct injustices that she's experienced. And I really appreciate that about her. That there's this one lawsuit that she went through where some guy who's like a shock jock radio host, I think, or something. I could have looked it up before I told you about it, but I'm not gonna because I don't want to. But somebody touched her butt in a photo. It was a man touched her butt in a photo and there was a woman standing on the other side of her. God, I hope that wasn't his wife. Uh, but it probably was. And there's photographic proof of this guy's hand on her butt. You don't see it from behind. You see it from the front. But her hand, his hand is so on her ass that you could see it from the front. It's like, you know when a, when a chick has an ass that you could see from the front? And you're like, oh, God damn. Because let me tell you, even though I'm a straight woman, a chick with an ass, yeah, it's a thing of beauty. You got to stop and appreciate it. You smell the roses. Look at the booty. It's like, you know, so when a chick has ass from the, that you can see from the front, but it's like that, but with sexual assault, not that great. It's not, not the good kind. That's what kind of photo this was. And she went to court because this motherfucker sued her for defamation. I'm like, buddy. Oh, buddy. Did I just read one of his Tinder bios? I feel like I read all three of them. Talk about a fuck boy. She, he sues her for defamation. Because he touched her butt. And then she countersued for $1. Because she's like, ah, 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 no, 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 no. Your girl ain't playing that. Your girl ain't playing that. Your girl ain't playing that. I'm like, yo, kudos, Taylor Swift. Goddamn right. Oh, I love when people who are rich and powerful and iconic. She's iconic, man. She's iconic. Can't escape it. She's iconic. When they do something like that and they're like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm standing up for my values and principles and what I believe in. There's too many women that don't have the resources and the time and the money required to be here. And that bitch don't won. Goddamn Taylor Swift. Oh, you know who else I judged? Way harder than Taylor Swift. Fucking Gwyneth Paltrow. I, and I, as an actress, that lady's the shit. But my little dumb, dumb brain, not dumb, dumb, Christina, hey, my little brain that sometimes gives into societal pressure like we all do because we're human. It's like, Gwyneth Paltrow, like, I don't want to steam my pussy. Like, fucking relax. I don't know. I was just like, ugh, eye rolly towards her. And then she came out with the goop thing and I'm like, that the shit's so expensive. I, who gives a shit? I'm just finding reasons to bitch about her. That's what that's what I was doing in my head. Those are the voices in my head of like, that gross, cancery like, let's make fun of her because like, fuck her. Ugh, so gross. We're all capable of doing it, by the way. Even a nice little lady like myself, <laughs> who really tries to be em empathetic. Sometimes, but sometimes you don't fucking feel like it. And sometimes you kind of shit on Gwyneth Paltrow, even if it's just in your head. And then <clears throat> a couple years later, you get on a podcast and you admit it. Because you've watched the Goop Lab next uh, series on Netflix and you're like, you know what? Take all that back. I'm taking all that back, Gwyneth Paltrow. I love when people surprise me. And it's not really that they're surprising me. It's that they're proving me wrong that my assumptions about them were based in nothing. I, I actually really enjoy those moments. I love being wrong about people. And I'm wrong about people, you know, most of the time. I would say most of the time. People who are my closest friends didn't like them at first. I'm like, they're out to hurt me. And then, no, nah, they weren't. And then the people that I'm like, oh, they're good. Nope. <laughs> so you never know. And it's okay. I forgive myself. I'm, I take it, take it with a grain of salt. And now when I, whenever I feel myself putting somebody on a pedestal or putting somebody on the gallows in my head, like on the, you know, on the roasting them in my head, but like worse, I'm like, you know what? You're probably wrong, girl. And guess what? I is. And so are you. What are you working on? Any spreadsheets? 
Oh, you fucking color coding right now? <gasps> Shh, your boss is coming. Quick, act like you're doing something important. So many people tell me that they actually work on spreadsheets while I say that, and so I'm just going to keep saying that. But one of the episodes of this Goop Lab series on Netflix um, featured this gentleman, this, <laughs> what a what a character, uh, named Wim Hof. Again, all the everything I'm talking about right now, just so you know, you don't have to write it down. You don't got to put it on another tab in your spreadsheet to be like, oh, I'm going to forget. It's all on my website, www.christinahutchinson.com. It's K-R-Y-S-C-Y-N-A. If you don't know that by now, you don't deserve the resources. But everything I'm talking about is going to be on there. So like, I'm going to tell you what I hate to hear. Chill out. God, I hate when people tell me to chill out. And that's the irony to that. Because when you're legitimately mad and someone's like, oh, 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 calm down. You're like, don't fucking tell me to calm down. You're like, actually, I'll tell me to calm down. That's, that's what I'm getting at. Anyway, one of these Goop Blab series. There's a lot of good ones. Man, there's one on women or women having orgasms, female pleasure that I am like, what the fuck? And they this this series is very well done. It's very honest. Gwyneth Paltrow is so not full of shit, you guys. Boy, was I on the Gwyneth Paltrow's full of shit train. I'm off of it now. I'm embarrassed that I was on it, but it's okay. We judge. We judge. And I'm off the train now, and I'm on the Gwyneth Paltrow's kind of fucking shit. She's the shit. And there's an episode on female pleasure and they have Betty Dotson on who I really want to interview on guys. We felt so bad. Oh my God. And she has some of the goop. Gwyneth Paltrow's fellow staff members are part of the series. They're, they're really cool people. And it's a very like, it's like really real, you know? And um, so the women all do this workshop and they look at their vaginas and then there's a series and like they have like a round table type of segment and they go back and forth between this round table and then the actual activity. And in one of the roundtable segments at the beginning of the episode, they were like, you know, the question was going to come up eventually. We'd have to make this decision. Do we show the vaginas? Do we show a woman's vagina? And you know what? A woman's vagina is not shown very much in film or TV. And the ones that are shown in porn, a lot of times those could be altered. And also they're pick, they're casting, it's porn. Like they're casting a certain kind of vagina. Heath. And now there's a lot of porn that's directed by women that you should absolutely check out that cast all types of vaginas. But you think those tube sites you looking at? Toddykins? Little Timothy? Timothy Chalamet? Oh, he could look at porn sites. I wouldn't get mad. I wouldn't get mad at if anybody looked at him. But all these tube sites are run by the same fucking company. Oh, it's a dude. Surprise. See, you see, you usually see one type of vagina for the most part. And they're like, ah, oh, were we going to show the vagina? And then it just cuts to a bunch of pussies and it's awesome. All different colors, sizes, grooming uh, circ- like situations. It's great. I'm like, man. And it, you know what? Made me uncomfortable. I'm like, oh, Christina, you cute little American girl. You just living in your little sheltered life going, every vagina's like mine or every vagina's look like this. And it made me uncomfortable. I'm like, fucking breathe it in, baby. Breathe in these vaginas. Vaginas are the best. And if you ever are lucky enough to have your face in one, just go to town, okay? I feel like I should just say that. Fingering is awesome. Um, But this Wim Hof episode of the Goop Lab series, this guy's a fucking nut in the best way possible. And he talks about this Wim Hof breathing technique. And there's this YouTube video that I'm going to put on my website. Oh, you didn't get that? Rewind. And uh, I do this breathing technique now twice a day. 
And it's basically a series of like deep breaths in and deep breaths out for about 30 seconds. And then you breathe out, hold your breath for a minute. And I haven't gotten there yet because I start to panic and freak out. And look, this is all mental because your body is completely capable of holding your breath for a minute. I'm just like, oh God, oh God, I'm going to die. No, you're not. But I'm getting up. The more I practice, the better I'll get. Okay, I'm being nicer to myself. And then you take a breath in, hold it for 15 seconds and you, you repeat that. And uh, that really, that's been helping me not want to smoke as much. Like I just went out to smoke before I was recording and I thought I was going to want the whole thing. I only smoked a quarter of it. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. So here's to hopefully that quitting smoking journey being pretty effective soon. I'm giving myself a break because the second, the second I go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go, oh God, I can't, I can't do it. And then I'll just smoke a pack, which is more than I would ever smoke otherwise. This Wim Hof breathing technique is sick. And then he teaches some of these goop people to basically swim in the Arctic Ocean. This motherfucker puts on his swimmy trunks, swim trunks, swimmies, whatever, his bathing suit. And he just goes into the cold water and can hold his breath longer than most people and can be in sub-zero temperatures. And it's all right. Because, and I was like, you know what? You know what, motherfuckers? That's what I'm saying. It's all, shit's all mental. It's all mental. Your mind is your reality and you could change it and you can overcome shit by really getting down and focusing. So I want to talk about something else that is, oh God, it's a little like emotional for me, but it's got a good ending. We'll see. I hope it has a good ending, but it all it, it leads me to this one um, video that I was hanging out last night with my good friend Justin Silver. Again, we're hosting We're Not Banging tonight at eight o'clock Wednesday, February twelfth, at the Stand. You should come. Bingo! Last time I plug it. And I was I was telling him about this uh, really rough conversation I had with my mom. That but, but it it was rough, but it was beautiful. It was one of the most profound conversations I've ever had with her, and it changed me. It changed my chemistry. I don't know. It did something crazy. But it was also, the essence of it was sad. Um, but it wasn't a sadness that I felt like, oh no. It wasn't a sadness that felt like it was going to consume me and eat me alive. And I'm now realizing that those types of sadnesses, they're all made up. Like when shit happens in your life, when shit gets fucking real, all the things that used to make you sad, like a boy problems or, or, or career stuff or whatever, I mean, those things can get frustrating, but it's so easy to get swept up in them. After the, I had this conversation with my mom, I those things kind of dissolved. My feelings towards those superficial things just went away. Because, you know, when, you, when your love life isn't going the way you want it to, or when your career isn't going the way you want it to, or any facet of your life isn't going the way you want it to, and you have the power to at least try to do something about it, you know, those that pain feels oh, really real, really real. Oh boy. But then when you actually have a conversation with someone who's gone through some shit that you love and respect and have known your whole life and who have seen work her ass off to be better with to no avail, you're like, that's some fucking bad bitch shit, man. That is some real life shit. Oh, that's my laundry. Hold on one second. Talk amongst yourselves. I'll just be like a minute. Sorry. 
So like, I feel bad. That kid is so nice. He came, uh, he's so sweet. And I feel bad. I gotta get a laundry bag with a fucking handle on it because uh, mine doesn't. And it was so full. Should I have tipped him? God damn it. See, these are the voices in my head. Um, but it's like the laundry is kind of about to fall out, but I'm not gonna tell him how to carry it because I'm doing this to him. And my undies is in there. My underwears. And they're gonna fall out on the floor. <laughs> oh, well. You're welcome. He probably does not want that, but you know, if he does, well, it's add a bonus. Anyway, Justin was here last night. I was telling him about this conversation with my mom, and we were just kind of talking about shit we're going through. And then he um, he recommended a couple things to me. He's been recommended to me so many resources that have truly changed my life, and I'm excited to share them with you. And one of the um, things he's recommended is a talk on YouTube. The link is in the in the website and whatever um dr joe dispenza has this one talk on youtube that i'm going to play a portion of and i i watched it last night we were both watching it for like an hour it's an hour and a half talk we watched a chunk of it and i was just like this is all the shit that i swear has been true like these are my core beliefs that i'm like i'm pretty sure this is true and it basically like you can oh shit don't play yet you can heal your own body like you can you can change your mind you can change your circumstances you can it's not easy but everybody has the power to heal themselves i i've always believed that and i've seen little blips of it throughout my life of like quote unquote proof you could say like in real life not on a video not on the internet but in real life and i'm gonna play a chunk of this video after i tell you about this phone call with my mom but before I tell you about this phone call with my mom, I, I, I had called her right before I started recording. And um, she talked about, she was on an episode of Guys We Fucked um, a couple years ago. And so she talked about some of this, so I don't feel bad about, about sharing it. Um, my mom is truly one of, the mo- one of the most incredible human beings. This woman has grit. This woman has fucking grit. And it's a, I'm in a weird place. I think I've said this a bunch of times before where I'm, where I'm working through all these things in therapy. And I'm finally not feeling guilty about being upset with her when I was a ba- when I was a child and she wasn't there, she could be there for me. Like I I thought I had to blame somebody for everything, but I realized you don't have to. No, it's not that's not you don't need somebody to blame. Shit just happens. It just happens. And a lot of times it's not fucking fair. So much shit happens to people that is just not fair. It's not fair. Um, but I asked her, I kind of like briefly interviewed her. The phone call ended up being an hour. And I've only, because I was like, hey, mom, give me like a brief history of like your medical shit. Like what, you know, just give me the hits. And this list, it is three pages long on Google Docs. It's just the hits. Okay, because there is so much more shit. I had to leave. I had to cut the phone call off early because I had to go. But just so you guys are aware of of what one person can experience and then i'll tell you about the conversation i had with her and, and you'll kind of see why it's transformative so this is this is a list that i made from this phone call with my mom so right from the get-go fetal alcohol syndrome turmoil in the womb baby Woo! good start good start her biological mother had my mother she was like a middle sibling she had a bunch of a couple younger a couple older siblings um and she lived with my mom lived with her biological mother for approximately from the ages of birth to three years old. And my mom tried to kill, sorry, my biological grandmother tried to kill 
herself a bunch of times. And then there was at least one documented attempt where she tried to kill my mother and her siblings because, quote, and this is what it said in the paperwork, she didn't want to leave us behind. <laughs> okay. Obviously, this woman was severely mentally ill. So there we go. Trauma right off the gate with the fetal alcohol syndrome and the smoking cigarettes. I don't really know what that does to your brain. I'm sure there's research out there that you can look at. I don't care. You guys send it to me, but that's happened too. And then a murder attempt. Whoopsies. How are you a two-year-old that's like tries to get murdered by your mother and then somehow manages not to? We don't know what happened, but you know, a little traumatic. Then she was in and out of foster homes. And then she got adopted by this amazing couple. My grandparents, they have both since passed. Oh, just lovely humans. Lovely, lovely humans. And then um, when she was in school, um, she had multiple, she had a bunch of learning disabilities, but they never got diagnosed. She couldn't concentrate in school. And one of the things, one of the biggest overdiagnoses in kids with trauma is ADHD. But it's not actually that there's something wrong with your brain. Like, it's not that there, it's something that only a pill can, can fix. It's rooted in trauma in your brain being overstimulated and your nervous system being overstimulated as a baby, as a child. But then they're like, what the fuck's your problem? Especially back then. So she had a hard time in school. By the age of 10, my mom was five foot 11. Tall, thin, blue eyed, blonde haired, 5'11", stunner at the age of 10. And I don't want to disclose this, but you can imagine some of the terrible things that could have happened to her because she looked like a grown woman at the age of 10. Okay? She talked about it on Guys We Fight. I feel like I just feel weird repeating it. Not that she listens to this, but uh, I, I don't, yeah, that's her business. Um, and then she rode horses when she was a kid and she got, at some, she would get constantly bit by ticks. And then years later, they found out she had und- undiagnosed Lyme's disease. And that does a number to your nervous system. She had a physically and emotionally abusive boyfriend who punched her in the face when she was in high school and threatened to kill her. And, uh, and this guy was, well, she lived in New Jersey. She was born in New Jersey and her adopted parents lived in New Jersey. Um, and he would say things to her like, if I can't have you, nobody can. And then my mom's mom got worried for her and sent her off to Florida to stay with her aunt when my mom was 18. And it was partially a graduation present because her aunt lived in a beach town and she wonder if she had a good friend who lived in Florida that she knew and they I guess they stayed the summer in Florida when my mom was 18 and part of the reasons why she went was to get away from this guy who she thought was gonna, who said he was going to murder her and so about a couple weeks into this trip to Florida again my mom is 18 years old she's sleeping on the beach with her girlfriend and there was cars were able to be on the beach I think it was Sarasota Florida no Sarah Soda, I don't know. Whatever the place is in NASCAR track. That was the town. And uh, a big wheel truck, a big, like a monster truck, a legit big wheel truck backed up into her sleeping on the beach body and ran over her arm and into her head. But because she was on the sand, her body, she felt the pressure. She passed out. But it didn't actually run her over as if she was laying on the pavement. Like it didn't crush her bones, but it so pushed her into the sand but the sand only has so much give. So God knows what the fuck injury she got with from that. Apparently it's this girl who drove a big wheel truck who just wanted to go get a hot dog. And she drove back to the beach with her fucking hot dog. And my mom said, I almost yanked her out of the car and said, what the fuck is wrong with you? This woman had no idea she ran over my mother. So my mother, again, 18 years old, fucking 5'11", knockout. I have pictures of her and this woman is a goddamn knockout. So then she didn't go to the hospital because she was so freaked out and she could walk and she wasn't, she was conscious. 
So she and she was freaked out. So she drove home later that night. She never went to the hospital. The next day, she was at a pool hall, and the owner of the pool hall uh, was from New Jersey. My mom's aunt was also from Jersey. They knew each other. The owner knew that my mom was from New Jersey. There happened to be a, a, a young man stationed in the Navy at that time, eight years older than my mother, named Edward Hutchinson, who was stationed in Florida, also from New Jersey. The owner of this bar said, oh, you guys should meet each other. You're both from Jersey. And they played a game of pool. And my dad noticed the tire tracks on her arm. And he was like, you look like you got hit by a truck. And she was like, actually, oh God, I did. And then it was love at first sight. She went to leave back to New Jersey to basically get her stuff. But before she left, she always told me the story that my dad got down on one knee. And if you knew my dad, you, you, you it's kind of a little out of character for him. Handsome motherfucker. Oh God, just devilishly handsome. Naval officer gets down on one knee and sings once, twice, three times a lady to her before she goes. Oh God, it's so sweet. So she moves to Florida and they get married and then he gets restationed to uh, California. And at 19 years old, my mom's 19, my dad's nine years younger, so 28, seven, I don't know, you do the math, I don't care. When she gave birth to my brother, the doctors thought she had a stroke and she got Bell's palsy. So half of her face became paralyzed and drooped. Half of her beautiful fucking face and she was never a vain woman, just drooped. And in 97% of people who get Bell's palsy, their the muscles in their face go back so they go back to normal in three percent of people it's permanent guess which percentage my mom was in the three percent she has my brother and then they moved to pennsylvania and then my mom started having really severe neck problems and she was being treated for what they thought was like some type of uh like osteoporosis type thing um and this this was it turns out that they were treating the wrong problem and then a couple of years after later into uh, being in pennsylvania i was born which was pretty sick what a gift what a gift to everybody ed and nancy you're welcome love you baby and then when i was two we were still in pennsylvania my mom mom lost all use of her left hand and she said to a specialist like oh shit or no, a specialist said to her after examining her, like, oh, you have underdeveloped pectoral muscles and muscle deterioration. And then they did all these tests and they told her that she had Lou Gehrig's disease, which is a death sentence. And my dad, who was in the Navy, was stationed in Japan at the time. The Navy flew him back to Pennsylvania to be with her. And they thought that she was a, a going to die very soon and B, not very soon, not be able to walk or stand up. And then the chief neurosurgeon of this hospital was like, hey, wait, actually, I think it's something else. And then a couple days later, she got what is called a cervical laminectomy. They opened up her spine and the, like the base of her skull where her spine meets her skull or her neck or whatever the fuck. I ain't a doctor. I can't give me a break. And they found out that the situation was a lot worse than what the x-rays had shown. And it was to the point where if she had any minor physical trauma, even if she got into a fender bender, she could have died because all the nerves that were controlling her involuntary functions like breathing and her heart working were on the verge of being cut off. And then it turns out, fun little fact about this surgery, they lost one of the clamps in the surgery and they never told her. And then four years later, when my mom and, and my family and I moved to Virginia, they got more x-rays because she was still having problems and they found a clamp in her neck. It's still there. It's fine. So five days after that next surgery, she tried to, tried to get plastic surgery to fix her Bell's palsy because she was like, I'm not a vain person, but I really, half my face is drooping. And I gotta say, was born with a hot face. I'm putting words in her mouth, but you know, I'm presuming that's what I would say. 
but the surgery didn't take. So that was a loss. And then uh, a couple years after I was born, severe postpartum disorder, postpartum depression that she was diagnosed with. At this point, we're um, in Virginia. She, that's when she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and the doctors were assholes to her. When she had postpartum, she told me, and this is an exact quote, she said, I'll never forget this. One of the doctors said, well, maybe you didn't really want to have your second baby. And she was like, are you fucking kidding me? But my mom is such a sweet angel. And when somebody comes at her with something that's not true, in, instead of, she's, I'm a lot like her in that, like, instead of going, whoa, 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 fuck you. No, I don't, I'm now just now learning to have that sense of protection over myself, but I never, and she didn't have that at that point. She was like, wait, what the fuck? And it really made her upset because one of the only things she's ever wanted in this world was to have children. So her neck was never the same after the surgery. She couldn't play softball anymore. She was very athletic. That made her depression even worse. She was put on over 20 different, 25 different types of medications that made her absolutely insane. And the doctors refused to listen to her. And she told me about this one time where she was hallucinating. She got prescribed Wellbutrin. And she said, she, she just told me this on the phone as if she was reliving it. She's like, I saw myself in a kaleidoscope in a bright pink shirt in a coffin and I kept spinning and there were eight of me and your dad was trying to talk to me, but I couldn't hear him. I just hear, kept hearing like, whoa, 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 like the teacher in Charlie Brown. My dad called the doctor. The doctor never called back. They didn't know at this point because there wasn't the internet and there wasn't a lot of talk about side effects of medications. They did not even think that it was a side effect of this pill. They just thought, oh my God, I'm, I, she just thought I'm going crazy. They got an appointment with the doctor a week later and the doctor, they were like, why the fuck didn't you call us back? And he was like, well, if it was that bad, you should have gone to the ER. And they're like, what the fucking shit? So all of Virginia was mental hell for her. That was about 11 years. That was for me, ages two to 12. That's pretty formative years for me and the worst years for her. And there was one point where she was, uh, she checked herself into a psych ward. They put her on Ritalin. They did one of these tests then, and they said, let's put you on Ritalin for a second. And when she took the Ritalin and it went through her system, she, she was like, I thought I was cured. Like I could, I could pay attention to things and I could organize things and things made sense and I didn't feel overwhelmed. And then a couple hours later, later that night, she had a full mental breakdown. She had such an extreme come down from this Ritalin. The doctors were like, okay you can never take this again. And she was so disappointed because she thought, oh my God, I got like a break for five hours. And then the hospital gave her lithium and then she made her feel like a zombie. And that's when she started getting tremors. And she's had them every day for the rest of her life ever since then. She has tremors, Her vo she has vocal cord tremors, so it always sounds like she's crying. And she has like physical tremors, like her handshake and her neck. And it's like, oh, God, it's such a soft spot with me because whenever I see a, a woman my mom's age with tremors I like I cry and she hated the oh gosh she hate God, I remember her she hated those tremors because that was like wearing it on your sleeve wearing your neurological problems on your sleeve and then while she was in the mental hospital she said one day she got a new roommate and the the first day the roommate's back was towards her and she was talking to this roommate she thought was listening and she was like are you okay what's wrong and then she turned around and the roommate had cut her both of her arms her forearms in half like almost in half blood out so that's fun turns out and she didn't know this at the time her biological sister four years earlier was in the same psych ward but she didn't even know she had a sister at that point so that's something she found out way later oh and another crazy fucking life thing 
My parents both met in Florida. They're both from Jersey. That night that they first met, they realized that my mom's mother, my mom, the woman who adopted my mom, my mom's mother, was my dad's Sunday school teacher in New Jersey. And they were nine years apart. So this is well before my mom was even born. <laughs> and they met in Florida. Like that's just, ugh. Life is so goddamn magical and it's really beautiful and you gotta tap into it, okay? And then after and then after the mental hospital, she still wasn't feeling right, but she came back home and she was describing this moment to me that I never knew she even had. One day when she was home, she said it was like a crisp spring day. I was outside playing. I was maybe like, I don't know, probably five or six. And I was in the front yard of our, we had the most beautiful home. It was built, uh, it was, we built it. My dad and my mom and dad had designed it. It was this gorgeous colonial house. And I, oh God, I, I remember being a child and going, I love my home. I am so lucky to live in this beautiful home. I don't know how I felt lucky at that young, but I did. I just really appreciated it. And my mom was describing this day a couple of days after being home from the mental hospital and she felt this crazy moment. She was on a, a couple medications, but she said that she felt like every stress, every emotional and physical stress in her body, she felt it lifting off of her. And she, and she felt, it felt like she could see colors again and she could enjoy her kids again. And she was like, what the fuck is this? And that lasted for about five days. And she was like, holy shit, I'm cured, I guess. What the fuck? Apparently, it was a severe lithium high. And then after that, she spiraled into the deepest depression she's ever had in her life. And that's when she went to live in a car for about a month. She eventually came back. Let's see, what else did she get? She had to get a hysterectomy when she was 35. And then that took her into surgical menopause. One of her ovaries blew up post-surgery. She had undiagnosed epilepsy this whole time. P.S. That's a fun fact. Oh, and then this whole time too, she also had severe digestive issues, but she had so much shit on her plate that she's like, well, I'm not even gonna, whatever. I guess I won't shit that much. And then when I was 11 or 12, we, her and my dad separated. We moved to Pennsylvania. My mom said she threw her pills out and that's the best she's ever done. But then shit started happening in PA. Not as much mental because mentally she was actually so much better. And I was like, holy shit, sick. But then she had to get a bunch of breast surgeries to get benign tumors removed. She had two surgeries on both her feet and three surgeries on both of her hands um, because she had, she was getting sharp, crazy pains that wasn't allowing her to function. And meanwhile, she was living on her own at this point. She had, she was on disability, but disability does not pay a lot. So to pay the bills, she was cleaning people's houses. And I was in middle school at this point and I would go with her to clean the houses. And that's how she got me braces. She wanted to pay for me to have braces because she knew I wanted to be an actress and she knew I had to have, yo, my teeth was fucked up, dude. My teeth was gnarly. And she paid for my braces by literally working her hands to the bone and having to get five surgeries on them. And after the last hand surgery, she got this thing that's again, very rare to get, but she got it. It's called reflex sympathetic dystrophy syndrome. And she said it was one of the most painful experiences of her life. In order to, to rectify this, a couple times, uh, there was a couple appointments a week apart where she had to go to the doctor and they put a needle down into her neck and down to her spinal column. And I don't know what the fuck they did from there, but that pain mostly went away. Oh, and then a couple of years later, her vagina fell out. Literally, her vagina fell out of her body. And she was like, oh, am I dying? Is this, this what happens when you die, right? So then they realized, and then she had to get reconstructive pelvic surgery and she got mesh put in. And this doctor was like a salesperson trying to pitch her with this mesh. And we're going to 
take in. It's going to hold your organs in place. And she told me, she's like, I have a feeling that that's probably not good, but you know what? Let's do it. That mesh stayed steady for a year and then shit started to fall out again. And then the mesh started to fuse to her organs, including her bladder and her bladder would go into spasms. Very painful. So she had to get multiple surgeries to have a doctor slowly remove this mesh from her intestines. She still has mesh in there. And then when she got home from that last surgery, she had this crazy stabbing pain in her back. She fell asleep, woke up. The pain was so bad. She crawled to my dad, the bedroom where my dad was sleeping. This is in Pennsylvania. My parents got back together. Oh yeah, there was something happy. Yay. Um, and, and then my dad rushed her to the hospital. They got to the ER and she was going into cardiac arrest. They weren't sure why. And they had to fucking shock her with those fucking giant fucking paddles. And she was having the most intense pelvic pain. And then it turned out that one of the things in the catheter was blocking it and she couldn't pee. So she was walking in the hospital. She was there for three or four days. One of the days she was walking and her bladder just, it didn't burst, but all the, all the urine came out of her all at once that had been like in there. Like the, the, the clog got loose or something. And that's why, I think that's why she went into cardiac arrest, but who knows? And she got a pacemaker put in. Cool, cute. Recently, she just got surgery on her shoulder, her shoulder and she has to get permission from a cardiologist in Pennsylvania every time she needs a new surgery. And this shoulder surgery didn't go as well as it pl- as they had hoped. And she's really frustrated. You know, she always does stuff right. If the doctors tell her to do stuff, she'll fucking do it exactly on schedule. She'll do it exactly on schedule. She will follow it to a T. She is not a stubborn woman at all. God, I admire the shit out of that. She is not stubborn. She's very kind and she's very open-minded. And she sometimes has to call all these goddamn doctors who won't transfer the records to a new doctor and she has to orchestrate all this. Meanwhile, she has all these learning disabilities and gets very easily overwhelmed, but somehow manages to do this, which goddamn. And now she has, she has a couple other issues that she can't even get checked on right now. So this leads me to this conversation that I had with her. I called her up and I said, Hey mom, how you doing? I was on my way to my brother's house and uh, she wanted to talk about me right away. And I was like, you know, how's your healing? And then she started to cry and she's like, you know what? I'm done. Fuck this shit. I don't want to go to any more doctor's appointments. I don't want to. I don't, I'm done. I'm good. I'm done. I'm good. And it's funny because, well, it's not funny, but it's one of my main issues is, and one of like, the, I guess a trigger, you could say. Yeah, I think a trigger is the right word. Is my mom and her suicide attempts and She's had many that I, I don't even probably know about. I mean, this phone call that I just had with her, she told me about one that I didn't even, I was a kid, I was four. And, uh, and she was telling me about how she just, she's done. She's done. She's tried her best. And I was like, okay, this conversation's a little bit more intense. I'm gonna pull over, end up pulling over. I don't know where, I'm in Pennsylvania driving and I don't mean to do this, but I pull up into a graveyard and I get out of the car. I don't realize it's a graveyard. It's in the day, middle of the day. I'm like, oh, good. That's cute. Thanks. Thanks, universe. Cute. Oh, death is a thing that happens. Oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> but honestly, I kind of laughed. And I had this really profound conversation with my mom. And she, a lot of times she's scared to be honest with me because she knows how upset I get over her health problems. But like she talked to me like woman to woman and she was like, man, you know what, Christina, fuck this shit. I'm done. And all my fucking friends, you know, or, you know, or people around me, anybody, even people who see her out in the street that she doesn't even know. They're like, hey, you know, come on, hang in there. Try essential oils or try this. I mean, I'm certainly one of those people. I'm like, try this, try this. Try Everyone's saying try this. And she's like, fuck that. I don't want to try it anymore. I don't want to try it anymore. I'm done. And I'm like, yeah, 
yeah i get that fuck this mom fuck this fuck this shit you know fuck this shit i have never witnessed a human being with more grit and determination to get better in my life than this woman and man i always joke about suicide and stuff but like and she said this on an episode of guys we fuck when she did it that she really believes in um assisted suicide that it's it's so disrespectful that we don't allow human beings i understand that people want to take their own lives in 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 at times that no you don't buddy and most of the times it's those times it's like no you're just going through something really hard right now and i think i had a conversation about this a couple weeks ago about like you know just kind of like ah, i farted in public ah, i just kill myself like that that easy out thing and i feel like suicide ideation is kind of going up in people's brains i actually don't think that's a bad thing because i think it's healthy to think about but a lot of times i feel like most of those cases it's like no don't 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 do it don't do it man don't do it you have a lot to live for and you have people who love you and you have you just you can't see that right now and your brain's doing this evil piece of shit thing where all the voices in your head are pieces of shit but when she told me that i was like yeah yeah i get it i get it man and we just had a really beautiful conversation about it and all the bullshit that i had been that had been floating in my brain like just feelings of uh, feeling like unsafe but for reasons that weren't real i get why my brain thought that but you know i'm really i can be real dramatic like in case you haven't noticed and uh and i'm really you know for reasons that i'm being fucking dramatic like oh my god like i you know i'm not gonna go into it now but it it doesn't matter but what happened like all those all those feelings that kind of melted away i'm like this is some real shit this is some this woman that's wow that is grit that is a real living example of grit and honesty and she's like i have these appointments to get i have another issue that i need to get checked out but i have to go to the cardiologist to get checked. and i don't want to fucking go and i'm like and i and i went in your father's planner and i crossed this <laughs> she's so sweet she's like I, I went in and i i saw my appointments that were scheduled next week and i crossed them out and i'm like you know what mom good that's because she's like i felt like such a weight lifted off my shoulder i'm like that's self-care man that's self-care for you right now that's the best thing you could do for yourself so good normally when i'd be like oh my god mom no no please you know no none of that none of that was even in my none of that was even present none of that was even below the surface for me and i feel like i felt like a crazy shift i don't know i've just never really had an honest conversation with my mom about that that topic let alone and she was like, thank you for understanding because I feel like I can't talk to many people about this because they're going to go, oh, no, but fuck that. We're so conditioned socially to, and I am one of these people. Boy, I really want to work on this. If someone says something that's bad, I immediately have the urge to try and fix it or try to help them fix it. And fuck that. Fuck that. No, no, no. Let them real let them let them feel get the fucking feelings out these are real feelings that need to get out of your body and so i was telling justin about this conversation we were of course crying and um and he told me about this video uh by this doctor joe dispenza it's called you are the placebo and i just want to play some a clip of it it's yeah i want to play a longer clip we'll go a little bit above an hour because you know what it's my podcast it's my rules right is that what we're working with so this is kind of coming in in the middle of his talk somewhere, but he'll, 
you know, basically at the beginning, he talks about this insane accident. He got like hit by a bus, a car. And the doctors were like, yo, buddy, if you don't get this gnarly surgery because your spine is so fucked, you're going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. You might die, all this shit. And then he talks about how he fucking used the power of his mind because he's like all of these emotions that we think and feel help recreate these circumstances in our brain. So one of the things with trauma that I talk about a bunch and my therapist tells me a bunch is when your brain is conditioned to be in fight or flight at all times, the stress hormones are constantly activated in your body. You are bound to be very ill. Like it's going to take a toll on your stomach. It's going to take a toll on your central nervous system. It's going to take a toll on your body because the stress, your, your human being is not meant to experience stress all the fucking time. So here's a little bit of this talk from this guy. Ugh, and again, this video is going to be up. I, I watch this. I'm like, yo, this, okay, I'm just going to play it. I'm going to shut the fuck up and play it. And your personality is made up of how you think, how you act, and how you feel. So he stopped talking about his accident and was just going into like how he helped himself. But and now he's just talking about like just general theories. And he's he's like a neuroscience. He's like a science guy because he's like one thing that unites us is science. You know, religion is divisive. All these other things are divisive. You would think science would, you know, unfortunately, science is divisive to a few fucks that are in the White House. Can you believe that? But for the most part, if you're a smart person, you don't have to be that smart. I ain't that smart. I'm emotionally intelligent, but in terms of medical stuff, I ain't that smart. But science unites us, and he's using science. So anyway, here we go. So the present personality who's sitting here today has created their present personal reality called their life. Which means then, if you wanted to create a new personal reality, then you would have to start to think about what you've been thinking about, yes? And change it, yes? Yeah. And you would have to begin to pay attention to those habits and behaviors and become conscious of them, yes? And then you would have to look at the emotions that you've memorized that keep you connected to the past and ask yourself, are these emotions loving to me? Oh, good question. And so I realized that most people try to create a new personal reality as the same personality, and it doesn't work. We literally have to become somebody else. You can do. So then you would have to agree with me then that all this information that you're learning today n would inspire new thoughts, yes? And new thoughts should lead to new choices, yes? And new choices should lead to new behaviors. And new behaviors should lead to new experiences. And then new experiences should create new emotions, yes? And new emotions should inspire new thoughts, and that's called evolution, yes? So then those emotions that Greg uh, was talking about this morning, the majority of people in the Western world spend the majority of their life living by the hormones of stress. Yep. Trauma. Now, stress is when your body's knocked out of homeostasis. The stress response is what your body innately does to return itself back to order. That's the first definition of resilience. Now, you have three types of stress. You have physical stress, like an injury, an accident, a fall, a trauma. You have chemical stress, like uh, viruses and bacteria and blood sugar levels and heavy metals and hormones and foods and hangovers. And then you have emotional stress, right? 
traffic jams and internet connections and second mortgages and single parenting and 401ks. And each one of those things knocks your brain and body out of balance. And all organisms in nature can tolerate short-term stress. If the deer gets chased by a pack of coyotes, if the deer outruns the coyotes, 15 minutes later it goes back to grazing and the stress is over. Human beings are different. We can turn on the stress response just by thought alone. You can begin to... AKA trigger. Oh, fuck. ...to think about some future worst-case scenario. And because the privilege of human beings is that we can make thought more real than anything else, we can focus on that possibility to the exclusion of everything else. And you can knock your body out of physiological balance just by thought alone. And your body, as the unconscious mind, believes it's in that experience in the present moment. And we can unfold past bitter memories that are, that are tattooed in the recesses of our gray matter. And like magic, we bring them to life. And in that moment, it's real. And so the hormones of stress long-term push the genetic buttons that create disease and no organism can tolerate living in emergency mode for extended periods of time preach so then think about this you can turn on the stress response just by thought alone how many people have done that you've done that it's called being human right yeah we're just and humans. we know that the hormones of stress dysregulate and downregulate genes to create disease. So that means then your thoughts can make you sick. Ooh, hit me, baby. Now here's my question. If your thoughts can make you sick, can your thoughts make you well? I'm talking to the right audience. I love the way this guy talks. So then the hormones of stress, though, give the body and brain a rush of energy and it's like a narcotic it becomes a drug and people become very addicted to the adrenaline and the stress hormones and they use the problems and conditions in their life to reaffirm their emotional addiction Ugh. so they can remember who they think they are the bad relationship the bad job the terrible circumstances all of that is in place because the person needs that to reaffirm their emotional addiction Literally, my therapist like just told me the other week that like you're recreating like the same like the trauma. No, this is what she said. The trauma brain falls into patterns, and you you keep doing it. You keep going back to the thing, the drug, the the person, the whatever, because that's the trauma brain recreating this. Because my point in bringing this talk is not to be like tell you all the things my mom went through and be like, yeah. So just like believe in yourself, but like it's more of can you imagine that shit that she went through as a baby no one ever told her that that was traumatic and she didn't fucking know because she was a baby so can you imagine the high alert that she was in by the time she was fucking four anyway we're gonna continue because god forbid they couldn't feel anything oh wait so uh, if the hormones of uh, stress become like a narcotic that was a good one and you can turn on the stress response just by thought alone then we could become addicted to our own thoughts mm. How many people are still with me? Oh, I'm so with you, baby. So then if you become addicted to your own thoughts, when it, becomes t when it comes time to change, then you can understand then, just like an addict, the moment you're no longer thinking certain thoughts that are making certain chemicals for you to feel a certain way, 
and those feelings drive the same thoughts. You know, like if you have an insecure thought, you begin to feel insecure, right? Come on. And the moment you feel insecure, you're going to think more insecure thoughts, yes? Yeah. And if you keep doing that for 20 or 30 years, it's going to feel pretty familiar, yeah? And then you're going to say, I am insecure. But whenever you say, I am anything, what you're saying is you're commanding your mind and body towards a destiny. So if the body has been conditioned to the mind of insecurity, don't you think then the moment you're no longer going to think insecure thoughts and fire and wire those circuits in your brain and then produce the blend of chemicals for you to feel that way, don't you know your body is going to do what? It's going to look back up at your brain and say, hey, I modified my receptor sites for you. We've been doing this for 20 years. Yeah. I'm counting on those chemicals coming. Now you're just going to stop? Yeah, it is. And it's going to start sending signals back to the brain. And the hardest part about change is not making the same choice as you did the day before. Yo, that quote straight up made me walk around. Uh, I stood up off the couch and I was like, yo, yo, that's mad true. God damn. Okay, and we're back. And so these people understood that their 20 years of hatred or their 30 years of anger, or their 15 years of fear, insecurity, was the very reason that they were sick. And because feelings and emotions are the end product of past experiences, and we can remember experiences better because we can remember how they feel, if uh, the environment signals the gene and the environment produces a chemical reaction, then as long as you're feeling the same way every single day, there's no new information coming from the environment and you keep signaling the same gene. How many people are with me? So then the emotions of anger and aggression and hurt and hostility and hatred and prejudice and fear and anxiety and insecurity and hopelessness and powerlessness and depression, guilt and shame, Those are all familiar emotions to us because we've experienced the events correlated with them. How many people are still with me? And it's those emotions that are derived from the hormones of stress. And if you keep knocking your body out of balance, that imbalance becomes the new balance and you're headed for some type of disease. And these people began to realize that they had to change that. And when we react to something or someone in our life, there's always a change in our chemical state. We're altered in some way. And if you don't know how to control your emotional reaction to that event in your life. Which people of trauma have really hard time uh, controlling their emotions. That's one of the hardest part, but it's absolutely possible. And that chemical refractory period continues for hours or days. That's called a mood. What's wrong with you? I'm in a mood. Oh, really? Why? Thought you'd never ask. (laughs) Well, this thing happened to me five days ago. And I'm living by the same emotional reaction. Now, if you keep that refractory period going on for weeks or months, that's called a temperament. Why is he so angry? I don't know. Why are you so angry? Well, this experience happened to me nine months ago. 
And can you imagine for people who have been brutally traumatized, like rape or incest or some shit, where they try to shove it down because their fucking nervous system can't even handle the fact that it happened to them, and then maybe they could, you can actually block out the memory of severe trauma, like your brain kind of does he a solid but then all of these behavioral symptoms start popping up and you're like what the fuck's wrong with me and everyone's like yeah what the fuck's wrong with you and you're like i don't fucking know meanwhile fucking relax not you the other people and i'm living by the same emotional reaction one long refractory period and if you keep it going on for years on end that's called the personality trait and most Ugh. people wear their emotions layer by layer, and they believe that's who they are. And there was an article in Scientific American just two months ago that scientists said that 50% of what you say about your past is not true. Because you're not though. the same person. You make up stuff. I do that. And so then... If feelings and emotions are the end product of past experiences, now stay with me. Did Greg say we need to think differently? I don't know who Greg is. Yes. But so how many people in this audience question. believe that the way you think has something to do with your life? You do. Yeah, yes. raising their hands. Okay. It's so true. feelings and emotions are the end product of past experiences. Yes? yes. You can remember experiences better because you can remember how they feel. Yes. So then, if you can't think greater than how you feel, or feelings have become the means of thinking, are you thinking in the future or are you thinking in the past? The and past. as long as you're thinking in the past, what are you creating more of? That's true. Quantum model of reality still applies. And so, if you're feeling the same way every single day, then according to our biological model, it means nothing new is happening in your life. Is that right? Because yeah. how many potentials exist in the quantum field? How many? A shitload. So with every new experience, there should be a pretty good emotion, right? You should feel overjoyed or in awe and wonder or excited or inspired or in gratitude or appreciation. An elevated emotion. But living by those same familiar emotions means nothing new is happening in your life. And the body as the unconscious mind, as long as we're living in the same familiar feelings, is believing it's in the same past experience 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. And if the body's become the mind of that emotion, then the body literally is living in the past. And we can't create a new future holding on to the emotions of the past. Okay, so that's all I'm gonna play. There's so much more that I'm like, yo. However, just why it's an hour and a half. Mean, mind you, the first part of this talk, before he gets to this part, he talks about how he cured himself after getting hit by a car, and the doctors were like, Your spinal, your vertebrae are fucking crushed. They're ruined. And if you don't get surgery, and he's like, you know what? I'm not, because at, up until this point, he was already into all the shit that he's already into, so he had this knowledge. So, so he was like, you know what? I feel like I could probably uh, figure this out. And basically, I mean, you got to watch this talk, but he essentially like studies the vertebrae and then mentally will meditate every day. And it did, he did this hours and hours on end, imagining reconstructing his own vertebrae with his fucking mind. And I'm like, nah, -uh. but yaha, yo. Yo, you guys, what? What the fuck? Anything's possible. And I knew that. See, I knew it. That's why I love his talk. Because I'm like, I knew anything was possible. I fucking knew it. Your brains are so much more powerful than you fucking think they are. And we are all 
given this ability to be we're all according to the goop lab series on netflix like we're all psychic but like we haven't like tapped into it or whatever which i believe that too but you can also heal yourself and so watch this talk my god please please especially if you are going through something like neurological man trauma especially if it happens to you as a little kid and you don't know you can't fix it and then you think all these medical things we put pills and band just forms of bandages on this medical shit it's such it's so unfair because that's not how human biology works and i fucking feel like i i was born into this planet knowing that for whatever reason and when i watch this talk I've had little examples of yes, that is true, or you know, to, to support that theory throughout my life. But man, this talk really—I'm like, yo, this guy fucking without surgery was able to walk again after his his fucking vertebrae were crushed by a vehicle. He did it with his fucking brain. Okay, how this video only has eleven thousand YouTube views on YouTube—I'm like. God, fear is such a controlling tactic. It's so easy to control people with fear, and the one thing that this video does not give you is fear at all. In fact, it only gives you hope, a really sense of excitement. So I, my mom's going to watch it. I told her to watch it. And so I, I don't know. You know, I'm not saying she's going to reconstruct her bowels or, and her brain and her whatever. But I think that's a, I think that's exciting that there's hope. And so um, I don't know. Maybe you could use that too. Hey, for real, again, I know I said this. Congrats on oculating yourself, guys. We're, we're all here. We're all trying our best. Sometimes our best sucks. And you know what? It's okay. Just you figure it out. Okay? I gotta go. I love you. Please don't kill yourself. I'll talk to you next week. Thank y'all. I pulled into Nazareth Was feeling about half past dead I just need some place Where I can leave my head Hey, mister, can you tell me Where a man might Just grinned and shook my hand No was all he said